Data observability is the idea of creating a unified view of all the data so you can head off problems early, identify outages, and address any conflicts in real time. Today we're interviewing StreamDoll's founders, Ustin Zerubin and Daniel Sellens. They're going to share with us how they're using an application monitoring approach to address the challenges of getting that unified view in today's data-centric streaming environment. This episode is hosted by Jocelyn Bernhul. Jocelyn is focused on data, ML, and enterprise software. She has experience as a founder, investor, and product leader, and has worked with both startups and large financial service companies. Jocelyn is currently a senior director of product management for security, a unified data controls company. Follow Jocelyn on LinkedIn or on Twitter, at Jocelyn Byrne. Ustin, Dan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm so glad to talk to you guys. I was just recalling with you when we first met. Uh, it was a long time ago. You guys were just getting started, and you kind of op- taught me a bunch about uh, data observability, uh, some of the work you were doing from a very technical perspective. So I'm really excited to dig in and hear more about StreamDoll and your evolution. For the folks uh, who maybe don't know you yet, um, do you want to just give a quick introduction of your background and what the company is doing right now? Of course. So I'll go first, Dan. Uh, oh, you want to go first? It doesn't matter. So, but anyway, I guess you I go, guess I'll go. go. I'll go. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so, I'm Ustin, and I guess co-founder and CEO. Not I guess I am, but uh, <laughs> and there's something my, we wanted to tell you, Ustin. We're using this podcast. Ah, got it. Well, I guess I'm out, guys. Peace. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's a rough world. Um, so, my background is actually not in computer science, which is hilarious. Uh, I came from a physics background, but I've always been interested in computers and computing in general. Uh, my dad was like into cryptography and signal analyzing in the Navy. And so kind of just, you know, taught me a lot about electronics and all of that stuff. But for some reason, I decided to get into physics, specifically material science, and then kind of got sick of that and got very frustrated and went back into computing and was doing a PhD in distributed storage and then caught the startup bug, as Dan likes to call it, and been doing startups, I guess, for the past like 12, 13 years now. Um, I have, uh, I do not have exactly that story. Um, I, I like to say that uh, I dropped out, but it's kind of hard to even like call it dropped out because I visited... I, I visited a college for about like three and a half weeks. And I was like, nah, not for me. Um, but um, I have been doing this for about uh, 20 years or so. I uh, So I'm Dan, CTO, co-founder, not I guess, definitely the co-founder of uh, this company. And uh, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. A ginormous nerd in general. Um, Really like distributed stuff, uh, distributed systems. Have been working in startups for about uh, fifteen years of like my twenty-plus year career. I started out in data centers, um, doing basically all kinds of weird uh, integration type work, like doing stuff with generators, batteries, uh, all kinds of power system stuff, lots of networking stuff. So, just had a really strange uh, software engineering upbringing because it basically meant uh, having to reverse engineer all kinds of weird stuff. But um, we just had our offsite and I am pretty sure that I came to my own conclusion as to where this all started from. And it's from the 1995 movie Hackers. Um, I was pretty sure that I really wanted to be a cool hacker rollerblading uh, with a neon pager and I wanted to hack the Gibson. So that's how I got into computers. Um, turns out there are no neon pagers and there's no rollerblades and uh, doing that in New York is probably a terrible idea. But here we are, um, did not hack the Gibson, but did come up with some big data stuff that I am super proud of. So there you it go. It's interesting. Both of you guys have a background in uh, gathering a lot of signal and creating some kind of meaning yeah. out of multiple <laughs> types of signal. Um, yeah, and that's how that. I think about what you do a little bit. Well, um, what, are you, what are you trying to solve now with your company? Dan, why don't you take it away? 
I will not be nearly as eloquent as you. But the underlying thing is, is that uh, when we when we built Streamdoll, uh, the reason we built it ultimately was because we had built similar systems at a bunch of previous companies. Um, and I'm specifically talking about systems to be able to observe a high throughput of data um, to and whether the data would be used for um, facilitating some sort of uh, systems talking together or, or maybe even for like a data pipeline. In any case, there was always the same same thing that was in place, which was there was an event bus and developers or engineers needed to be able to observe what is happening on that event bus. And every single time, like clockwork, it meant that somebody had to pull out you know, their ID write some code, try to figure out how to make this work, and it was just painful. And these systems almost always evolve into something really, really big and generally hard to maintain. So what we wanted to do is build a generic system to be able to work with any event bus, be able to observe any sort of data stream, however it's encoded, whether it's in protobuf or thrift or JSON or doesn't matter, whatever it is, and be able to allow developers to peek inside of this thing and gain insights without having to write their own tools, come up with their own strategies on how to how to do all this or how to store this data, you know, for a longer period of time or whatever. We just wanted it to be simple. Right. Um, and that is the non eloquent answer. And maybe Usen can provide a more eloquent like elevator pitch uh, answer <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I'm I'm wordy. I'm the wordy one. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Oh. Hey, I'm we find that with too. a lot of technical founders. <clears throat> no, just we don't. No, that, that's totally our <laughs> thing as well. Um, the amount of times that Usain has told me uh, to like, uh, all right, you can like, we I'm just slacking keep him slack right now. Open. No, I'm just oh yeah, like right now, for instance, any moment now, there's going to be a thing which says like, <laughs> Dan, chill out, uh, and that's that's totally normal. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, to to more build on it, and this is not an elevator pitch, but it's essentially, you know. I think one of the things we're trying to answer personally is we think that stuff like logs, traces, metrics, they're very important things. And it's really interesting because a lot of APM companies started out by saying, hey, we, we answer why. But, you know, years later, we've realized that, well, they don't they don't really answer why as well as they think they do. And why usually always resides in data. And what actually happened, like what caused this thing to break or to malfunction or to go somewhere else? Because, you know, logs are great, but they're biased because an engineer implemented them or you might not be able to put some data in the logs like emails, names, you know, socials, by God, you know, please don't do that. But and so what we're trying to say is like, hey, here's that piece of data that came off your event bus. Here it came to your service and here's how it broke or worked. Right. And then you can go back in time and say, hey, this is what happened. I got alerted on. Let me just fix it really quickly and pipe it back into my system. So I have like perfect clarity into what's going on. And we see just like a bigger shift going into data. You know, data is becoming more and more important. We have a ton of data companies in the space now, but most all of them really only care about databases and the quality of data in the database. Right. What we're trying to do is have like a paradigm shift that is like, hey, all these things are important, you know, logs, metrics, databases, et cetera. But there's other pieces like as your data moves around and evolves in this like event driven world, what happens and how do you know what happens? Because current tools don't work. And that's what we're trying to solve for. Yeah. So it's it's data observability on streams and, um, and message queues. That's your focus. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. And so what you're doing is inspecting all that data in the event bus and then reflecting it back out to the engineer, the data and data leader, uh, so that then they can connect it to some system to remediate or react. So that's, that's exactly kind of the, it. Okay. Yep, that's exactly it. I mean, all of this is ultimately we're trying to provide additional insights into something that previously there were like you would need to go out of your way to try to create an insight, right? Um, we are trying to provide you with insights that maybe you didn't even realize that you wanted them. Uh, just the same thing as like when when APM first came around, 
folks weren't even aware of the fact that like, you know what would be nice? I would like to time everything that is happening, all right? Like every single function and method call, I would want to see timings for all of them, see how long something takes or what is the bottleneck? We are able to provide that stuff when folks aren't even asking for it, um, but in a totally different paradigm, right? Like we're talking about something that is completely asynchronous and there is no no way to actually do this right now. Um, there is nothing that you can take off the shelf and that will provide these insights for you. So. so how do people do this today? It's all custom code that then they have to support over time? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when I was experience. at a, uh, absolutely, like when I was at New Relic, um, it was exactly that. Uh, we would just build random things, like random code that would just be put out into production to monitor certain things. And in some cases, it's not even possible or it's extremely difficult. When we're talking about, let's say, Kafka, um, if it's an extremely high throughput Kafka, there is totally a huge hit whenever there's a brand new consumer that goes onto a particular topic. So you need to be really, really careful of how you write this stuff. You want to probably sample data. You probably don't want to use consumer groups. And there's all kinds of different methodologies that you need to, to, like, to use in order to not affect the production system. So and, and that's the, that's that's the thing. That's a, a normal discovery process that every company is going to go through at some point in time when they are dealing with something that's super high throughput. And what we're trying to do is say, like, well, you don't need to have any of this archaic, you know, fairly mythical knowledge that like, oh, this is how you should do this is how you should work with Pulsar. This is the, the best way to possibly, you know, like try to get data from it. Um, instead, you just point something at it, point us at it, and we'll just provide all this stuff to you without taking production down. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so how does that work though? Because it is a lot of investigating, inspecting, touching of, of live streams. Um, so can you give me a little bit of your perspective on, on, on you know, if I was an IT buyer, that's where, where I would be asking the most questions. Yeah. Well, do you want me to go, Houston? I'll, I'll just go with that. Yeah, go. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as an engineer, um, in general, you'll probably have somebody that is fairly senior and is fairly capable of this and is has got a previous experience with Kafka um, or whatever the, system, the underlying system is. Um, the first approach would be, well, let's just like see the, if we can hook into it. And that's where you already need to have some experience to know that, well, you shouldn't hook into it. Like you should probably... Um, know that like, well, using a consumer group is a bad idea. So then you're probably going to go to the next step. Well, like, okay, so I'm going to do sampling and I'll probably need to read offsets instead. And that's exactly what we do. What we, what we do is we read uh, the current offsets of where the stream is at and then try to get an idea as to roughly how, like which specific offsets to read to try to get a generalized sampled idea without causing Kafka or Pulsar or whatever to try to figure out what is the next offset that I should provide as a broker to the consumer. So instead, we're just basically, we're not leveraging any of the power of Kafka or Pulsar and saying like, well, now we'll just do the most minimal amount of work necessary uh, or the, the minimal amount of stress, right, that we can put on onto the broker and uh, just handle it all on, on our side. That's the sort of thing that somebody would have to do the do it themselves otherwise, all right, like without without having some sort of a stressful impact, right, onto the underlying system. Yeah, it's tough on a podcast, but to talk to talk me through the architecture there, though, right, because I've got like, let's say dozens, hundreds of streams running. And then you, you've got this polite, low friction broker sniff, sniffing around, right? And and making some decisions. Okay, so hundreds, you know, hundred different listeners out there. Two or three are areas of interest. Let's say. Then what happens? Well, that's the issue. If you were to try to build it yourself, you would now have to build something that is capable of basically intaking this massive stream well let's let's just say that it's doing i don't know um 100 megabytes a second right so a gigabit plus a second of data so now you need to write something 
that is either able to do it in real time and is able to basically consume the gigabyte of second worth of data, um, figure out if it is encoded, if it's like encoded in protobuf or something like that. So then you need to figure out how to decode this stuff. Uh, what we've seen is most folks have topics and each one of the topics has got some sort of a different encoding, right? Like, or a different schema. So you need to figure out which topic you're reading from, which kind of schema should it be decoded as. All the while, you probably do not want to use consumer groups because they will have some sort of an impact on Kafka itself. So then you're probably left with, well, maybe I shouldn't consume some of the topics. I'm going to say like, I'm just going to consume these three, you know, so there's this whole like discovery process that's in there. Um, and all the while, the the underlying thing that you're trying to answer is to basically say, I just want to like figure out what is it that I am sending or what is it that I'm receiving? Does it look correct? Right. And all of this work just uh, to be able to answer that is just ton of work. That's what it is, right? That's what it boils down to. It just takes a ton of time, especially for a, a junior engineer. I imagine at that point, you don't want to do something that has a potential of like literally bringing the system down in the first place, right? Because yeah, I think that's that's right. That's like the that's that's the narrative of doing it onesie twosie bespoke. When I'm yes. using Streamdial, though, right, you've got like some, you know, fleet of uh, polite brokers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then like there's output from from that announcement yep. that that is going into a stream or like what happens once Streamdoll has discovered something of interest to me? What is it? What is the system Streamdoll? Houston, I have I spent all this time. Yeah. Uh, uh, please. I mean, <laughs> I think the answer is kind of kind of simple, but maybe I can give it in a more like an example. Um, yeah, yeah. I was actually, I'm, I'm off track myself. I was going to ask you uh, sure. for some <laughs> use no, no, cases. You're, you're good. You're good. So, you know, we, like some of our customers, you know, they're, they're pretty big companies. And actually what we see, you know, as we were saying, we see the world changing into kind of a more, you know, data-driven world. That's like kind of like Docker came around, you know, changed the Vagrant game or the, just like the virtualization game forever. Uh, and... You know, then the APM came, et cetera. So more people care about data and distributed systems in general. And people are trying to modernize their tech to like move away from batching, going to streaming. But there are a lot of caveats in that. It's like, okay, are my tools working? You know, that I currently use, do I need new tools, et cetera? And that's where we come in. And to give like a really concrete example is like a company that we're helping right now is they're trying to move away from using um, gosh, what was it? Oh, AWS Kinesis into Kafka, and they're running both. But the problem becomes is they want to see the data that's going on, and Kinesis allows them that. But their batch processing stuff that they're trying to convert, are it's all protobuf encoded. So then what happens? Like, how do I see this binary data that is flowing through the stream, you know, into glory? Well, you can't. And so our kind of, you know, polite brokers, as you pointed out, you can give them a schema or like a protobuf schema, like raw protobuf, and we will be able to decode that on the wire and inspect it for you. But, you know, our inspection isn't only just like, hey, did the schema change? It's also more direct. And it can say something along the lines of, hey, I expect this to be a UUID. I don't expect this to be a string or I don't expect this to be an int. And you would immediately get alerted and say, hey, some, this piece of data is broke. But don't worry, like we consumed it and here's how you can fix it. And then you could run like a transform function or whatever and play it back into your stream again. So let's, um, let's say you're expecting that UUID. Who how, do you, how do you know you're expecting a UUID? Are you guys observing this stream and um, probabilistically determining that or someone declaring that? Somebody do, does it's have to declare. <laughs> you would declare, a, a, yeah, a monitor. We have certain certain things, like for instance, uh, we have PI monitors and stuff that like uh, will actually look for data that looks like PI, and we'll alert you to it to that sort of stuff. But the things like this should be a UID, or this field should be an integer always, or like a positive integer that's like 
more than a hundred and less than you know a thousand or something like that. Those sort of granular monitors that you totally you will have to declare them yourself that you actually care about this sort of stuff. But that's the point is that that sort of a like even something as simple as that uh, generally takes engineers the ridiculous amount of time and just babysitting right like afterwards like uh you have to take care of this system because uh we totally get it of course yeah we all know about spark jobs we know about like how how you would create data pipelines and so on and the point here is that just to get to that point you don't need to have data pipelines and it takes so much work just to get to that point in the first place and our goal was to eliminate all that. And by the way, you had another question, which was like, what is the actual, what is the artifact? What is the final thing? It's JSON. There you go. Okay. That's the answer. <laughs> Thank we you. are, whatever the format is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever the format is that is coming over the wire. Um, and we, I would suggest that it's not even just a stream doll thing. I think in general, uh, if somebody decides to do this sort of a thing themselves, you probably want to take all the stuff, like whatever the format, the initial format was, whether let's say it's Parquet even or Thrift or uh, I don't know, XML or something like that. You probably want to drill it down to one singular format that is human readable as well. Right. And that's that's what we do. So like whenever it's protobuf or if it's Thrift or flat buffer or something like that, we will ultimately change it over to JSON. And or display it to you as JSON because it's the, the most obvious and the simplest one to understand, right? But uh, behind the scenes, it is ultimately protobuf. You're viewing something that it looks like JSON, but really it is protobuf. Uh, we have just basically uh, we've done all the decoding and yada yada all that stuff for you. So, but that should answer your your previous question. Yeah, like yeah, about yeah. What is this thing? Thank you. So, That's what I was trying to ask. I didn't yes. ask it very well, but um, so. So you are monitoring all of these different signals, right? You're, uh, you're and you can decode the event bus uh, seamlessly for me, and then send it to some sort of uh, alerting or monitoring system that I care about, right? And so, um, to me, that sounds like you've got a lot of. Um, I think you guys call them sort of agents on the incoming side, and then you've got a bunch of databases and other stuff I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. it goes out to uh, alerting and monitoring. What that's are you integrating to all keeping integrations for all of those inputs and outputs? Or how are you doing that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, I'm glad you're laughing because it's a Herculean <laughs> task. I mean, not that many people would be like, here's my plan. I'm going to yeah. integrate to all of it. Well, <laughs> I, I want to say I want to say it's a hybrid, right? So we do we did integrate with basically anything that has a stream that we can write a library for is has been written whether it's Cassandra, MySQL, you know, which CDC streams, you know, which is change data capture, uh whether it's Pulsar, Rabbit, GCP PubSub, EventBridge, like anything under the sun we've written a library for. Now, we do want to say that there's probably a ton of integrations that we have missed that our users. So we have an open source project called Plumber, right? Which is our agent, but it's more than an agent. It's more like a CLI tool that provides you like very basic observability into the event bus. But, and you know, people constantly ask, Hey, can you support this and this and this? Um, and we normally do, but I do want to say that we also started supporting like WASM functions and the reason we did that is because chances are you might want to have some kind of like very specific integration that we just we're not experts in it right we can be don't get me wrong but we're not and chances are you are because you want it and you can easily write your own little integration in a wasm function that we can attach to a consumer so that way we can start consuming from something that we've never consumed before, but it's up to the user to implement that integration. But it's oh, very okay. simple, right? It's, it's, That's it's, actually super handy because yeah. it's a tough promise to keep, right? Yes, exactly. It is, but but I, I do want to put it out there. So, so Usman gave the, the, a very professional answer, but here, here's another thing is that when, when we decided to come up with Plumber, our agent, uh, it actually, there was no idea, like there was no thought behind like, oh, we need to create an agent. Um, we actually, we ourselves like in-house are using, <clears throat> so we use Kafka 
for high throughput data. We use Rabbit for low throughput data. That is like basically it's got very specific routing requirements and so on. So basically like inner system like or inter system messaging, right? <clears throat> we used also we used NAT, um, which is like a Golang based uh, um, uh, Event bus slash messaging queue. That's that's everything. Thing. Everything messaging in the thing. Sink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> key value store. Well, yeah, it, it's because it's true. It's it's doing. It does everything. It's basically like Kafka or Pulsar and RabbitMQ and key value like etcd. Like it's it's everything. Anyway, so we, we use all these uh, systems like underneath like for ourselves and. All of our stuff, like uh, internally, is encoded in Protobuf, and we ourselves needed to actually like use our own system and be able to debug it and so on. So we wrote Plumber for ourselves to be able to debug our own like architecture, basically, or our own systems. And once we wrote them, we were like, "Well, we already have like three backends, so let's just add a few more. Why not? Just like because maybe we're gonna explore. Like I think we we looked into Cockroach at one point in time, and we used some some other. I don't remember. It was like ActiveMQ or MQTT, or like we were just researching an, another one, and we just kept adding them. And then by the end, they're like, "Wait a second, we've added like fifty percent of the most popular ones. So let's just add the rest of them." So we added the rest of them, and now we're now at like twenty plus message buses and. It's become fairly simple because that, you know, what the task may have been really gargantuan in the beginning. We didn't really even notice it because we were we doing it for ourselves. It. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, just yeah. nibbled away at it. So like the the end result is ultimately the, the agent. It's basically just this polite consumer, right? Like what you just said, uh, it's simply uh, we're using existing uh uh, consumption libraries so like you know for kafka we'll use sarama for like for golang stuff or like um or segment io's kafka library for RabbitMQ, there's like there's all these established libs already so we're not trying it's kind of like you know reinventing cryptography you probably shouldn't do that so we're not doing that either we're just basically we're using existing libraries that have been well proven for reading data off of uh, off of buses, various different like bus tech, right? And all we're doing with that stuff is just we're making it polite so that it doesn't take things down. So for instance, like with Kafka, it is going to politely read data off of there, right? Instead of creating massive like a consumer group and causing Kafka to just, just like, like shake the wheels off the system. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. instead we're just basically we're the best what we're trying to do is is create the best consumer possible right which is not going to and, and add all the little like little tricks in there such as you know retries and being able to reconnect whenever there's a failure and blah 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 all this sort of stuff that you as an engineer would normally have to write yourself right like uh, as you're trying to develop the system and so on so It'd be like that's the, essentially oh, our agent oh this is happening we also need this feature uh which is in inevitable in large distributed systems you're like oh that got hard fast um you no, know that's exactly it is like um have you ever taken an art class where you have to do negative um space drawing so you're just like filling in the spaces around hmm. the, the fruit bowl and that's what no. i think of you guys is like it's all this signal that's kind of in betwixt <laughs> um well, these architectural steps and by gathering it together and having it work in this polite organized fashion you're getting um i think you guys talk about this and like uh, you get a sense of not just the what and the how but a little bit more of the why because you're getting this integrated picture. Um, so I, th I think that that works. You did bring up a couple things I want to talk about, which are some use cases. So debugging is one use case you brought up for yourselves, and, and that seems um, you know um, accessible as a, as, a, as a use case. What other use cases are you seeing your customers adopt and, and use this technology to, to solve for? Oh, it's Who's a really good ahead. question. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at it and or crack at it. And uh, I mean, to the extent you can share, I'm not asking you. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. Are doing, no, but just give like, us a sense of like, okay, you've got the Swiss Army knife. Yeah, <laughs> what can I do with yeah, it? I think yeah, we like to call it like a reactor, and we just uh, like putting down power lines to whatever is out there, right? But in reality, I think you know the use cases are well. Let's back up a little bit. So, you know, we talked about how we're trying to create this new APM and we're calling it like streaming data performance monitoring. And what we're trying to like solve for is trying to educate people that 
data is key. Data is a class one citizen in that all things come from data. You know, all results come from data. It's the fuel for distributed systems. You need that data observability. And so our customers, honestly, they're using it for lots of things. But what is what is usually always like the same for all customers is they want to know what happened inside of that queue or inside of that stream that broke something. Uh, and I'll give you an example of a very particular customer. It's a pretty big company, so I won't mention their name, but like their use case I think is really cool. So they have a pipe, let's say, that they consume a lot of webhooks straight into it, right? And so a lot of events from a lot of different companies or a lot of third-party sources that they do not control at all. And those events come in, and they immediately go to their services, whatever their consumers are, but they also come to us, to our polite consumer. And we even actually just had a case this week where that third party changed their API structure and everything failed miserably. <laughs> uh, but it costs like money because like those are very important pieces of data that they need to link with whatever they're doing. But all of a sudden they didn't get it or maybe their services were down right? They couldn't consume it. And with us, they immediately let us know and and they actually saw that we have like a, something called like a dead letter on our end as well. And we're basically saying, here's the dead letter queue that we're managing for you as well. And here are all the events that failed. What, what do you want to do with them? Do you want to run a transform function, like pipe them back? Do you want to leave them? You know, it's up to you to decide. But they were just so happy that there was no data loss. So therefore, they didn't lose any customers themselves because it's important customer data to them. And they immediately got notified that something was broken. So it gives them an idea that something's broken. It gives them also the ability to understand the degree faster, the degree Correct. of problem. Okay. That's actually yeah, super, that's we, a very important part, point. We see, a, I think we're talking about essentially like incident recovery and meantime, meantime to recovery as well, right? Uh, without this sort of tooling, like whether you built it yourself or not, um, in general, with asynchronous systems, most of the time is going to be spent on debugging, right? And the more throughput there is, the more, basically, the more like, hey, you have to sift through to find that needle, right? Because usually it is going to be a needle that actually caused some sort of a massive failure, right? And that needle Alas. is, we're talking about one mess, <laughs> right? Like, like a, we're talking about like a four kilobyte message maybe or something like that. It's protobuf encoded. And now you have a stream that's doing a gigabit, you know? So of course it's going to be difficult to find it, right? And there is nothing preventing smart engineers from being able to find that stuff, right? But being able to quickly identify it in a matter of, let's say, a minute or two, or being even alerted about it in the first place, that's where it gets difficult. But I'll, I'll, I'll answer it slightly differently yeah. as well, that, uh, well for, or add some note, more. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, before, like, to interject, like it, another story here is that we had someone that we were talking to, massive company that everyone would know, uh, where they had an outage about a year ago. Uh, maybe half a year ago, I don't remember, but so in, in this time frame. And so JSON data being changed is bad, right, as, as a previous example. But data that is encoded and it's broken is even worse because your time to resolution has now just spiked uh, unknown amount of time. And here's kind of what happened. They have Kafka, they have, to your example, Jocelyn, that you mentioned earlier, lots of topics, you know, they're a big enterprise, lots of topics, lots of things that could go wrong. And what ended up happening was it was a badly encoded message. It was missing a field. It was a protobuf encoded message. And all these cons all these services, they have a ton of microservices. And so they started consuming this and they're like, hey, this data is bad. I'm going to retry it. Now imagine you have thousands of services, they're all retrying this piece of data to Kafka in an endless loop over and over and over again. It's like a denial of service attack. Yeah, it basically, it basically. And <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. They ended up crashing like that hurts my heart a little. Com completely. Just a mm -hmm. complete crash. And it took them, I think, more than six hours to figure out it that was a, 24 was just hours. A event. It was a full oh, day okay, of an yeah. outage. Uh 
So that probably gives yeah. away potentially part, partly somebody who it might be but, dwindles down the list. Yeah. Well, thankfully, there were a lot of outages in the past. That's yeah. interesting, so. though, because you hardly hear of that. Like, you know, long. Yeah, it's interesting. You're helping me understand um, how this is different from an APM. You're, yeah. you're helping me understand that because when you say mean time to recovery, my mind sort of immediately goes to like performance and, you know, SLAs. But it's more than that, right? Because of the data angle. The data angle mm -hmm. goes a little deeper into the trust, the accuracy of the outputs. Um, so while nobody wants to have bad performance or an outage, it's sort of more serious where there's these data streams involved. Yeah. Potentially. I, okay. I, that's helpful. And that's, that's what we're exactly trying to get actually yeah. everyone's head around is that there is this new paradigm that's happening that as soon as you move to a streaming system, you actually care about data. Yeah, you care about how much I.O., how much you know disk space <laughs> it uses, but you really care about what's flowing in there because your consumers, like most consumers are dumb. You know, they, they can't tell you that something broke. They're just consuming this because you need it for speed related purposes. Like you need to scale. You can't right. check every single data as it's being consumed. Uh, and that has actually been one of the hardest like evangelical parts to do is just like evangelize this shift of mindset. Yeah, and that's I, right. That's right. I think a part of this is also that I, that folks might misunderstand is that I, we're not saying APM is bad, you know, or the metrics are bad or the logs <laughs> not are at bad. All. You need all that. <laughs> all, you need all that stuff. You need all of it. Um, you do need like if you're using Splunk or your Elk stack, or whatever it is like to for your logs and stuff. It's all great. It's fantastic. But um, I think the point here is, is that as we're headed towards all this real time stuff and we're doing more and more asynchronous things, um, we're basically we're accepting we're becoming more accepting of additional complexity right and mm -hmm. when this new complexity is coming in that's it's just not enough like you do need to start paying attention now to the underlying data itself that you were just pushing pushing around before maybe prior to this you were talking microservice to oh, microservice I, yeah, cool I like that. and now we're at like we're we've gotten to a next step which is like okay cool Everybody's got Kubernetes. Sounds good. We've all doing microservices. We totally got it figured out. Now let's take it to the next step. We're going to become asynchronous so that we can go faster, right? Or faster mm -hmm. and better in real time. And now all of a sudden you start realizing, actually, I don't have all the tools that I need for this. And that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, go ahead. That's and. what we're getting at is trying to, to point out that like there's something else that you need to build here. Uh, you need to have like a, basically a, a visibility, like a visibility layer into this stuff. And well, it can- And a quality uh, layer. Yeah, it's like a quality, visibility, everything layer. So like, um, so you mentioned already, so the, uh, the number one thing is, of course, it is totally observability and all kinds of things that go into that, which might be quality stuff and just debugability, you know, and that sort of thing. But there is, it's essentially such a foundational block that you could do pretty much anything from that point. You can start going into disaster recovery, like concepts such as uh, what happens when your Kafka goes away? Let's say like, do you even have a DR plan? What happens when your main bus goes away and you need to start from the beginning? Is it okay that the bus is completely empty at that point in time? So for things like that, being able to read everything and just have a dump of everything, like uh, that by itself is just an obvious, it's such, such an easy concept. I have some more questions around that because I do think that's interesting counterpoint to the application, uh, the APM model, right? Because in the olden days, right, we had applications that had fancy logic and went out and acted on data. And we needed a certain set of tools for that. But you're right, in this new asynchronous and streaming, more real-time world, uh, in the way we do distributed computing today, it's these simple um, these simple functions. And the data is the one that's now moving around. It's the tail wagging the dog, dog wagging the tail situation <laughs> in which you need different tools. I, 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 maybe that's been said before, but I like the way you said it. Um, can I, I, you guys have one more thing to say, but I wanted to switch to talk a little bit about implementation path, but go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I think one of the coolest features that we are working on right now, actually, and well, it's, it's done. We're just trying to figure out how to provide it to a user, you know, turn it into an actual product, uh, is just data lineage. And what I mean by that is how do you even know what data has moved around like your system or you know now that we're getting into this like gdpr land 
of people asking companies and big corporations for like, hey, where's my data? And guess what? Usually a corporation's like, yeah, we'll get back to you in six months. And the reason they do that is simple. They don't know where all that data is. They have to go and figure it out and find it. But what we're saying is like, hey, like maybe you want to track a particular ID as it transitions from, let's say, Kafka to Postgres to Redis to something else. Well, all of those texts have a, some kind of CDC mechanism or some kind of a way to output a stream that we can also hook into and basically tie all these transactions together and say, hey, this is where this ID was in your entire system throughout. And that way you can answer questions easily and you can also respond to GDPR requests easier because you know where all that data lives or have or has lived. And that's kind of like one of the main kind of like throughput testing, not throughput testing, like more like a pipeline test that you could do is like, hey, went Kafka, went to Postgres, went to this, and the output of that data is this. This is what I wanted. Cool. You know, and it makes it so much easier and quicker to even build services when you have a tool like that that will help you to see the data flowing. I think that the whole point here is really like, again, you could build all this stuff. Like, uh, I think uh, there are plenty enough companies out there that can that have principal level engineers that could totally uh, attempt to build this sort of stuff. But as it turns out, it's hugely painful. It is because they're because it's a we're in this asynchronous world at this point. There are so many gotchas everywhere uh, that it's. You just get really hung up. It's really easy to get hung up on certain, you know, certain concepts. So like what Usin just described, we're essentially talking about event relation, right? Like being able to determine event relation without actually declaring anything, right? And saying like, oh, this this event, you know, is related to this event and being able to figure this that stuff out uh, automatically. Um, there are folks that do pl plenty of ML and do, do all kinds of natural language processing and so on. You could figure this stuff out. It's just painful. That's what it is, right? And it's just one piece of this entire, like the entire right. problem. It's just a one well, little painful. tiny, tiny piece. So I would not recommend it because then um, all this stuff is also moving around. These platforms are changing. If you're in a really large, complex organization, I mean, you could do it yourself, assuming everything mm -hmm. basically stays the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. um, but as things move, change, evolve, uh, people move around their platforms, they migrate their data, um, they keep a copy, they have a low latency use case, right, with three mm -hmm. copies. And so it gets tricky, uh, you know, and sometimes that's actually something I worry about with you guys, how you're going to stay on top of all that. But <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but I guess that's what you're signed up for. So um let me ask you a couple quick, <laughs> go ahead. This is our jam. It's, it's kind of our jam. Um, and if it wasn't like painful or difficult, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. Um, and that's the other part is like both of us have a background like in high throughput already. So this is like everything that we've built, we've we've already gone way above like what was, you know, the initial necessary limit, which is like uh, I think we initially we said to like, OK, we want to be able to do 10,000 a second. Now they're like, all right, we want to do a hundred thousand messages a second without a problem, like, and just be able to deal with it. Um, so I think just setting really, really high goals for this stuff—it's worked out pretty well. Um, it's been okay. I think I, I think you answered a couple of questions for me. So we talked a little bit about total latency and system latency, which you guys are keeping an eye on. Um, in term, and we talked about freshness because you can keep an eye on that as you go across. But um, what about unsupported events? Are there any kind of like what happens if there's something that you just can't read is unobservable? What are you doing? Yeah, with that? so uh, Usan already mentioned it. Um, we oh, have we did? a concept. Uh, yeah, he he mentioned. Oh, dead well, letter. He just yeah about dead letter okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. The idea is that basically so. We're actually pretty proud of this. Um, we we'll just talk about recently. It twice, then. <laughs> well, listen, this is pretty sweet stuff uh, because we just managed to get um, uh, our patent in. Uh, well, it's it's patent pending, but at least the stuff is in now. Um, it is about uh, the way we perform schema elections and stuff. Um, however, uh, so basically, it's a uh, we have a process of determining what is the current like what is the current usable schema for a large batch of messages, right? Um, and we were able to elect that stuff on, on a at a distributed uh, on a distributed level. Um, but there are still certainly cases of what you just talked about, that there is a possibility that you have just simply a conflicting schema. So like if you have two identical batches, but one of them 
or almost identical batches of messages, let's say 100 and 100, um, that just came in and 100 of them, you know, has uh, an integer for something and one, one, uh, one has a string, they, they cannot be combined, right? Um, in that case, we basically, we take the messages that are conflicting and put them into dead letter. And the concept of dead letter there is, again, one of those things that pretty much everybody builds themselves. Like uh, almost every company I've been at has had their own dead letter implementation, which is like some topic somewhere or some whatever it is, some exchange or whatever in RabbitMQ where you put messages that should be dealt with later on. And we basically did the same thing. And again, just try to genericize it and basically say, we weren't able to do anything with this message, but we'll give you all the necessary facilities to be able to get the message, uh, reshape the message, right? Like by running a function against it or whatever, so that you can get the data into a good state again, and then get it back into our system or replay it, you know, even against your system in the first place. That is the, again, if you were to build it yourself, that is what you'd want, <laughs> that you'd want to have the ability. But in most cases, if you're if you're going to build it yourself, you're probably not going to take the time to say, I would like to have a really generic way to do this. And that would be right, beautiful. Right. No, Repeatable it's going to be a script. Mm -hmm. Right. It's going to be a script that you will run that is going to convert the data and push it back. And then hopefully that doesn't happen again for another couple of weeks. And then it's going to be on somebody else to have to take that script, modify it to work, you know, for, for the next time you need to modify this stuff. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I want to I have a couple more questions, but I do want to switch gears a little bit to the business side and understand a little bit about. Um, uh First of all, how did you guys meet? Like, how did how did this idea start? <laughs> how did you start this company? Um, well, okay, we met at a previous company called Community. Uh, I was on the founding team there, and Dan was hired on as a principal engineer. Basically, we all loved working on side projects, like Dan and I. And I, I honestly think it's a beautiful story, at least for me personally. Uh, and so like my biggest kind of like pet peeve at any company was, Hey, if we hire someone new, I want to make sure that in the first week of their employment, they don't feel like they made a mistake. Right. And so it's like my personal goal is going in there and I would be like messaging Dan on Slack. Cause I realized we have a new employee. I was like, Hey, how's it going? Anything you can help with. Um, and I also like, I believe, not believe. Community was and is, I think, still an Elixir shop. And Dan was relatively new to the Elixir world. He came from Go. And so I would also try to answer all the Elixir questions that he had. Um, and we just kind of started to talk. And then we realized we're both like from like post-Soviet countries. And we both like to cook uh, this like thing. It's like grilled meat. It's like a very specific thing that like most Soviet Union countries know about. And so we... We met and then it started out that like Dan was the first person that I started like a side project with. It was like something else entirely that basically cared about doing things as much as I did. And what I mean by that is basically it was just Dan and I working and everyone else was chilling and we would be like driving this thing. But I, it's in my personal experience, it's always been that I would start a side project. I would get everyone involved and then I would be the only one left. But this time it was Dan and we just got to talking and then it was basically like, well, so why are we working on this? Maybe we can work on something else. And that's kind of how the initial sort of stream doll happened. We applied to YC and got in and it was crazy because we, we had an idea and we kept researching things like, how do you get into YC with an idea? not like a company already. And, and so, and the, of course there was no answer. So we just we were ourselves and I guess that energy kind of paid off and that that's kind of how I I see it I think it's a beautiful relationship and uh I wouldn't change it for the world type of thing oh it's exactly <laughs> what I, like uh I mean I guess what we're talking about is that we started sharing some grill pics uh you know mm -hmm. uh, because I was grilling some uh you know our style uh 
meats. And then uh-huh. Usun what is this was, called? What, you have to it's give called us the real shashlik, name. Okay? It's okay. called shashlik, and we both have two very distinct ways of how we marinate them and how we grill them and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it was just a, a thing that we, we started exchanging that. Um, and uh, then I guess, I guess we started talking about some technical stuff too, but it started <laughs> with grilled meats. That's, that's what it was. I like and this story because it involves three things I care about, which are uh, food, <laughs> friendliness, and um, yeah. software. Well, that's so all that matters. Like three things well, I like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to add like one more thing. And I, I feel like this is almost like a, a romance at this point. It's like a marriage. I think like all founders are married to each oh, other personally. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. With all the ups w- and downs. Yes, exactly. Uh, and what what I really love about you know, our kind of like founder relationship is that we both just personally hate keeping things in that bother us. Uh, (laughs) And so if something bothers us, we immediately tell each other. And that makes it so there's not this like, you know, nuke going off later on that like all these things that have been piling up and being used against you. So basically we resolve conflicts almost immediately if there is some. And then we're like totally cool. And this you is think what that's different I ca- for you guys uh, as opposed to other young companies? I don't know. Uh, I would guess so because, you know, I've seen some bad founder relationships in, in my like startup uh, circuit. But like I just think like a, this just our personalities just work that way. And it kind of works to benefit us. More like I have an opinion on this. Ooh, <laughs> okay, yeah, would you ahead. believe it? I have an opinion about this. So. Check this out. All right. Here's an opinion piece. I don't even think it's a hot take. It's just a take. Uh, I think that there are a ton of really young founders that uh, just haven't learned yet or haven't had the experience yet to to know when not to sweat specific stuff. Right. Um, Because only through experience, uh, like, again, I've. I've been doing this for 20 years. Usain's been doing this for a ridiculously long time. So <laughs> we don't argue about like By the way, for things. Th- this is a podcast. You both look great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Yes. Well, <laughs> thankfully, it doesn't show that Usain doesn't your, have your any many hair. Years, your many years in this yeah. uh, business. Well, but I, I, I like it. I think there's a there's – an. Uh, first of all, you're right. There's not enough senior devs just from a straight-up tech perspective. You used to have senior devs who were like, calm down. We'll survive. And we just don't have enough of those people in, in a lot of these organizations. But the other thing I was getting to is performative niceness. I think there's a lot of companies where there's a requirement to have to, – to bottle it up, to be to be nice when – Maybe that doesn't work in startup land. So I'm very interested well, in, in your culture. I, I want to say that I think having both of us being technical goes a really long way because I've seen a whole bunch of startups and been in like, you know, engineer number three, two sometimes where the founders are not technical or maybe one of them is or, you know, like whatever the, you know, random generator generated. Right. Uh, and so what ended up happening, it was like there was just no matter how much you try to communicate technical needs or runway or features and why this is hard, why this is going to work, why it's not going to work, there is always going to be an element of friction. And I'm not saying that we don't have friction about like technical things, but what I am saying, we can easily articulate and communicate these things and we generally just understand it. We're like, oh yeah, of course. That's mm-hmm, going to be mm-hmm. an issue. Having that shorthand. Uh, yeah. And so like we don't have – like we don't spend a lot of time wasting on explaining ourselves of why we want to build this stuff. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, of course, this makes sense. Or no, it doesn't make sense because of this. Or maybe we kick the can down the road here. And so like our product kind of roadmap doesn't have that friction, which is awesome. And I'm not saying that other startups where the founders are not technical or all of them are not technical don't have that. But I have a feeling that it's harder to make that work smoothly. I, have, I, I think between the lines, what I'm hearing is you have to be able to be vulnerable, to be wrong, to, you know, be say what's on your mind, right? There's no, like, there's really, That's true. and, and you have to have a shorthand of some kind where. Yeah. I think we're honest with, to a fault with each other uh, to the <laughs> point where like Dan, Dan could be like, what do you think of this? And, you know, I'll just come in and maybe I'm busy or whatever. And I'll give like a short answer. And he's like, no, 
this is not good enough of an answer. It's, it's That's like, my, I need a my husband always answer. laughs about that with me. He's always like, you're like one of the, like one half of 1% of the people who wants to be told when they're wrong. Cause I, I see that as like learn. a sign of respect, right? You're not going to let me go out there and step on it. <laughs> I also want to point out that like, I think it, so we've really have pushed hard to establish an engineering first culture. Um, because every company that I've worked at, um, if that has not been established, um, so even if engineering is second, um, there's still like this weird effect that that has, right? That like yep. some sort of messaging might get through and time is wasted on the wrong thing until finally there's an answer that like, well, actually that's not even possible. Like literally that's like what you just designed yes. is impossible. I've been in so many so, of those discussions. Right. Yep, yep. And we've established this very early on that uh, there is this mutual respect from across everybody that like uh, that we are expecting that somebody is going to pipe up and say if this is even possible or not possible and if it's not possible cool we move on yeah there's move not on even there's else. not even yeah, yeah. I, I guess we're talking about like you know the ability to sidestep uh, a landmine right basically or like or not even have a hill to die on right we just simply say that there is no hill we don't need to worry about it and everybody this is not kindergarten Everybody is smart enough to be able to avoid those situations in the first place, right? Like, let's mm -hmm. not even have a discussion where we need to have, you know, uh, have two massively opposing views because, uh, yeah. no, we don't have yeah. that situation. We well, generally have. Or if you they can might head it up, you can yeah, head it yeah, up yeah. in the past, right? Yeah, Occasionally yeah, exactly. you do have to have a big ideological discussion and it matters of course, to have an yeah. opinion. But you can blow a lot of time on, um, and I have, I, the, sitting at the whiteboard where I'm like, this is just an, a wishful thinking exercise. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we call, <laughs> so. it, we call it like uh, be less philosophical. That's, That's kind of right. like my, my, my motto and the other motto is like no surprises. So please just good or bad. I don't like surprises. I see, I see uh, the t-shirts yeah. now. I'm picturing the t-shirt right, <laughs> right now, right? Uh, um, be less philosophical. Um, listen, I, we only have a couple minutes left. We're coming to the end, sure. but I wanted to make sure that we have a chance to talk a little bit about um, how's business, how's the company doing and like kind of where are you going? What's, what's next on your roadmap? If you can share. Listen, this is, this is you. Yeah. You're lame. Ah, my lane, my swim lane. All right, time to put on my trunks. Um, so we're obviously gearing towards a big launch. Um, it's going to be sometime probably next year where it's fully public. Uh, what Basically, everything that we've ever talked about, we're starting to see it more and more in just like the enterprise world. You know, we're seeing more moves, more articles being written about data quality. We see companies like Monte Carlo, Big Eye, uh, coming into the market. I mean, they've been around, but they're really are driving that data observability. You know, we see Cribble, who's you know doing logs and parsing logs, um, and so we're very happy about that. And we're happy because I feel like we are carrying that momentum as well. That all the things that we have talked about, our customers have been mentioning. It's finally coming to fruition, you know, and so, yeah, launches first. We're very excited about all the features that we're, you know, coming out with. And personally, like, I think one of my favorites is the ability to do WASM transforms on your data streams, whether it's ingest or, you know, relay, et cetera. Um, we're excited that we finally, you know, have a team that we really enjoy and, and love that, you know, it's not because before, you know, for the longest time, it's been just four of us right now. Now there's, you know, 10 of us and it's just been phenomenal to finally work with people that we really love. We cashed in basically all of our friendship tokens. Um, and so that's what I, I'm super excited about. Um, and I'm sure Dan can pick up what he's excited about as well. Yeah. I think it's the biggest thing is that is what Ustin already mentioned that there's we we've been talking uh, behind the scenes and uh, just kind of you know doing these uh, soapboxing events where we're talking about there's this like fundamental shift believe us it's going to happen there's a fundamental shift in like asynchronous uh, like or, or like just in system design in general and since we've been doing this now for about like almost two years, I think, or something like that. And I remember two years ago, 
we were kind of looked at it like, what are these dudes even talking about? Like, why? Who cares? And now it's become a thing like, well, actually, yeah, this is totally legit. This is nice. totally happening. So for me, the happiest thing that the, the best part of all of this is that like the stuff that we've been talking about, that things are going to become more more asynchronous, that uh the concepts of event driven, whether it's whether you call the actual architect, like call the architectures by names, like uh, event driven, event sourcing, CQRS, blah, 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 all that stuff. That doesn't matter. The underlying thing is that people are becoming more OK with having or accepting more complexity. And there's going to be this need, you know, for uh, being the ability to look into data and that has totally happened um, or it's it's happening right it's like a thing that's ha uh, it's ever yeah, evolving we're just at the of beginning. course right we're just at the beginning, we're actually. Just at the beginning and uh, it's just really cool because uh, we kind of went on a limb like uh, Usain was just talking like just mentioned about the our YC stuff like our uh, Y Combinator experience we totally we I mean I don't want to say that we winged it but we kind of did. Of course not. <laughs> uh, yeah, like like we we built a prototype. We were like, uh, I think this is good enough. Let's just like check it out. Do people care about this? Well, turns out, yes. At that time, dozens, maybe. Actually, like five. <laughs> Up to dozens. Up to dozens. <laughs> yeah. um, and now it's like it's definitely more than dozens. And that's super, super awesome. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, I think uh, that's great. I love it. Um, you guys are... Um, you love software. You love ideas. It's great to catch up with you and, and get an update on how you're going. I hope you come back on the show. Uh, but for today, uh, thank you so, so much. And congratulations on uh, getting it all off the ground. And I can't wait to see your your uh, your rollout uh, when it comes. Thank no, you Thank very you much. so much. And right. we really enjoyed it, too. Can't wait to be back. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Thank right. you.